Hello and welcome to this week's Statsbomb podcast with me, James York, and Ted Knutson. Yo, how goes it, Ted? You're right. I'm here. I'm here. It's miserable weather. It's all dark all the time. Welcome to England. Is it not dark like this in America? Does it not? Uh, do this? It depends on. <laughs> it depends on whether you live north, south, or whatever. <laughs> it is. It's a continent rather than a country, isn't it? I forget that, but. Well, exactly. Yeah, like you know, I've I've lived sort of the the more equivalent of um the middle of france and and towards the south and you know it was like you enjoy the extra sunlight in the winter time i promise you yeah i don't know it is i i know what you mean it is pretty dark <laughs> i drove to work in the dark came back to work with dark the other day so i quite understand right um the toil of the working man. Where are we at anyway? So what have we got today? We've got a bit on uh, <laughs> the so-called title race, uh, a bit on set-piece goals around Europe, um, and we're going to look at that, and then a bit of relegation, Burnley-Cardiff maybe, and then Tottenham, because Tottenham was so very impressive at the weekend and, you know, almost demanding to be talked about on the everyone's podcast, I think, but... Those are topics we're looking to cover, so we'll see where we get on. Anyway, title race, Ted. Uh, is we've we've been from the start kind of saying that like what title race? But you look at the league table, and it all looks a little bit, a little bit close up there. I mean, Man City. Liverpool fans have pointed out to me <clears throat> that you don't get extra points for winning by more goals, and you don't get extra points, but you do get one half. I just thought that you know we should be very pedantic about that. Like your goal difference, if it's tied at the end, the goal difference matters. Um, so yeah, it, it's here. We'll start with a question. Um, so the implied probability of Liverpool winning the league title is about twenty percent right now. Right. Are you a buy or a sell on that? <laughs> I'm just so utterly convinced that Man City are going to win the title that I just <laughs> no no part of that to be honest. But <laughs> so the twenty percent so, feels feels. Yeah, that, I, I can get with that idea. That feels reasonable. Oh man, but like we're gonna talk about some numbers, and I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick at this a bit. Go on. Then. Um, so first of all, like Manchester City have done this without Kevin De Bruyne for the most part. Yeah, that's interesting because so, he will eventually come back, but like <laughs> didn't really need him. <laughs> well, he's kind of back now, right? He's not sort of full speed, but he's available and playing some um but did he so not yeah, get i thought he got re-injured because he, he, he came back and played one one game and he got his, oh i missed that then yeah he's he's, he's definitely <clears throat> i mean i don't think he's back maybe he's got a couple more couple more weeks out but yeah he's not he's, so their player of the season has yeah. basically not not played almost at all and they're crashing mm-hmm. fair enough um and then the reason why i like this kind of came back up is because i made this tweet saying um you know, the reason why James and I have said that we don't think there is a likely title race. And again, we're a third of the way through the season, really. So, you know, let's talk again when there's two thirds, right? Like, we'll we'll see if we're right, because it's very early on. Um, but it was it was that like both Manchester City and Liverpool have only given up five goals in 13 games, which is great. Obviously, like they, these are amazing numbers. But Liverpool have scored 26 goals. Manchester City have scored 40. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And and that's kind of where it starts to kick in. And you know, Liverpool aren't even the second highest goal scoring team in the league. Um that 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 lofty title goes to your friendly Spurs. Uh or no, sorry, not not Spurs, but Chelsea and uh, and Arsenal. So they have 28. So still 12 back. Um but yeah, it's it's the type of thing where like when we look at the underlying numbers and, and we investigated it before we came to this podcast, we prepare things for you, the listener. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> Liverpool are exactly the same numbers as last year, almost like to the dot in uh, in their expected goal difference, in their goal scoring, and in their in their expected goals conceded, which is you know maybe they're running a little bit hot. Maybe like you know Virgil Van Dijk is is so awesome that he's spoofing some things, um, but like that's you know very intriguing. And Liverpool were really good last year, but they didn't finish second even. Yeah, I think they they've got the opposite scenario going on last this season insofar as that their their attack ran hot last season and it hasn't yet this season. Whereas right. their defense was cold last season and it's hot this season. Man City just seems to be hot wherever you look. I think on on the attacking and looking here, we we make it about nine expected goals difference in their attacks. So, you know, when you're looking at it, you're rating these um whereas you may rate the defenses similarly, like Man City's attack looks like a step above again, and you know, there, I guess there's genuine arguments about running up the score and um, you know those those kind of things. But I mean, even even at the weekend, <laughs> you know, uh, Man Man City won comfortably three nil up at half time. Liverpool were three nil up by the end of the game, and it, it feels like that's the that's the difference. Man City will just come out and blow you away, and then and Liverpool, although they've scored a lot of early goals, um, when they have like not been quite so convincing they've uh, kind of eked out results a little bit more than kind of um so what, what you're saying, like in american terms this is garbage time right and and usually football doesn't have much garbage time uh, <laughs> so half because... a man city match is a good garbage time we touched on that before didn't we i'm sure when you you said when you uh went and watched them they were two nil up and it just got a bit kind of like passing it around and yeah so. just like they sat on the ball for 20 minutes against leicester they were away uh, maybe garbage time is just whenever you face west ham yeah <laughs> But sorry, sorry, Hammers fans. I, I couldn't resist. Come on. Um, so yeah, it's it's this interesting case, and and to to bring this back around to something that that's happening elsewhere in Europe, you know, PSG have forty three points right now, which uh, is a lot. Forty two, <laughs> Ted. Come on, forty two. Sorry, forty two. Something divisible by three. <laughs> yeah, forty two points. Um, I, I was thinking the three number there. <laughs> uh, forty six goals, seven goals against. And yes, they don't play in as strong a league, although that league is stronger than people think. They consistently turn out very, very good talent. Uh, Lyon are, are second there on, on 27 points. Um, but the interesting part about that is PSG currently have an expected goals difference of 1.43 uh, in our stuff, in the, in the stats bomb data. And uh, you know the, their, their defense looks about as good. Uh, their... Um, they're just over like two point, right around two point one for expected goals uh, in attack. They've been amazing. They've been completely untested. And what's kind of incredible is like the the shot numbers aren't massively different, but the quality of shots is stupidly large. Yeah, like, yeah. Neymar yeah. And, and Mbappe are, are just like crushing. Um, <clears throat> Manchester City have expected goal difference of one point eight four. Yeah, that's. <laughs> It's almost a full goal different than than Liverpool, right? It's like 0.9 different or something like that. It's a lot, and and that's that's the difference in what we're seeing. That's now. it's higher than any any team's actual expected goals for their actual expected goal difference. That's yeah, <laughs> that's insane. <laughs> Still insane. Well, it is, and and there has been some underlying narrative that City might be even better this year than they were last year, and I think it's right. Yes, from what we've seen so far, and like you say, thirteen games, we're getting to a stage where you can feel like you can be a little bit more confident with your proclamations about you know where teams are at and whatever. They're taking twenty shots a game. I think, from the top of my mind, I don't think a team has taken twenty shots a game since possibly like Chelsea in oh nine ten. That team was 
that too. I mean, that's before everyone had a, had a really good look at the numbers. But if you di- if you if you dig them out like that, that team took a hell of a lot of shots. I think there was a Real Madrid team in there that, that did something oh, similar. Yeah, yeah, but right. certainly, uh, I think yeah, across Europe you may find it, but within the Premier League, I think so. Like in the modern age of like where we where we've seen shots have declined over time in the Premier League, to see a team like actually still going out there and putting up like high end like twenty and above kind of shots per game whilst limiting the opposition to under seven which is about as good as it gets as well yeah <laughs> i mean yeah they're they're at the limits of, of basically how good a team can be both and, ends yeah i mean don't forget last year i said that about this time like city looked like they they are as good as pep's best barcelona teams at least in the underlying metrics and they don't have Messi. um they've got a lot of different parts and people were just like, this is nonsense. And then they go on to, to be Centurions. And you're like, well, maybe. But they didn't win the Champions League. Well, that's, that's a bit more of a crapshoot. And that's interesting as well. I mean, I didn't see it last night, but they drew 2-2 with Leon. Obviously, they lost the first game against Leon. Again, Leon are a tough matchup. Yeah, today. exactly. A nice nice little kind of uh, combination of uh, the best of France versus, you know, the very best of England kind of thing. And, you know, Leon have come out, you know, looking pretty solid in... Uh, both both their games there, and few teams have given Man City much of a much of a game this season. So yeah, we don't really talk about Leon much um, because, like you know, not many people pay that much attention to league league one. But I'm I've been a big fan of them for a couple of years now, and um, it seems like they are clearly very smart behind the scenes. And not only are they smart, but they're recruiting really well in ways that like have huge discounts. They're just executing well for the most part. Um, yeah, and I, I know Mo has had his his issues on the side and his uncertainty about Geneseo, etc. But you know they they do seem to be executing well in a pretty tough league while churning over player sales consistently and still finding the next set of gems. Yeah, they've uh, always they've always had a good good uh, good pipeline for young players, haven't they? And you know players like Ndombele and um, Hos- I don't know how to say his name, Hossam Ua. Is that his name? Ua? Yeah. <laughs> You know, uh, yeah, like some you know young players coming through. Obviously, Depay, Depay was a bit of a reclamation project, but one that I think many of us would have would have fancied a crack at. And uh, Bertrand Traore, who I loved, yeah, like, sure. I, yeah. I, I I very happily would have swapped uh, Mem- um, not Memphis, but Traore and Tammy Abraham for Alexis Sanchez to to Chelsea one year. I remember talking to to Jake Cohen about that. It's like no, no, we'll we'll just look. This is fine. Like knowing that that Alexis probably has a, a downside, and then Traore and and uh, and Abraham have upside and like the wages, etc. Uh, obviously, that didn't happen. These are the the fan fictional things that you do when you're having lunch with Chelsea fans. Um, so coming back around to Liverpool, like I'm not being mean to Liverpool. I want to be really, really clear about this. You guys are really good, and in any any sort of normal year, you would be right in the title race, and you would possibly be you know small favorites to like evens for a title. Yeah, yeah. I don't think you're even 20% for a title this year, and it's not your fault. <laughs> it's just like, give you the big hug. We're, we're having the, the, the goodwill hunting moment. It's not your fault. It's tough, because I, I don't know what else Liverpool can could possibly have done to, like... Um to like you know give themselves a chance this season you know they 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 bought the right players at, at the back and uh, they bought a good keeper you know they they're doing more on set pieces mm. and and clearly they're having some success as well like um maybe this is a good time to to segue into it but like they are you know you know that they've changed some focus you know that they've added some things uh, they're looking around for extra edges. The problem is just City's money, City's player quality, and the Pep thing. Yeah, we can go to set pieces. I mean, like we've got Liverpool with five good set piece goals for 
and one against, which is kind of third in the Premier League, which is, you know, that's uh, that's fine, really. <laughs> you know, the, the Tottenham have got seven. We've got Tottenham on seven, which uh, that's the, that's the highest in the Premier League. Uh, Brighton on six, Arsenal on five. That surprised me. I don't remember Arsenal being a. Uh... Well, Arsenal were last year too. Um, I mean, I, I think someone might have attempted to nudge them in years past to say that this is a this is an edge. It's kind of interesting. Like you know, teams have started to focus on this, and we know this, and like we know from talking to people. But like, <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure that it's freaking Michelin's fault and the fact that we we discussed that this was a thing um obviously you won't get credit for it and it'll be everybody else like original idea but this was not a a topic of discussion before outside of like Sam Allardyce and Tony Pulis um so yeah like it's these other teams are looking for edges and they're they're trying to find them um we don't have any any sort of long-term stuff um ours I think disagrees a little bit with what you might see on on who scored as well so they actually have Liverpool and Tottenham at, at seven each um but yeah like Manchester United even have like a moderate number and Bournemouth who led the league last year in set piece goals which is also quite surprising um are up there as well Bournemouth got a funny little thing with penalties I think like nearly like you go back to their last like um Look at long term. Bournemouth get more penalties than most other teams, and again this again this year they've they've um, they've had six penalties. I think they scored five, which is uh, that seems like an investigative reporting type stint. Somebody should do that one for the site. It's it's a funny little thing, and it, not every season. One season they didn't, but like most season, I think the season when they came up, they had loads of penalties in the championship and stuff like that. It's just it's just one of these little quirks that like, you know. What are you doing to get penalties? I wonder. But, um, so yeah, there you go. There's, there's a tip for the world: don't foul Bournemouth players in the box. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they get more penalties. They seem well, to get more like penalties. It's like the Jamie Vardy thing, right? Like Jamie Vardy's like weirdly sturdy and very fast, right up until he gets inside yeah. the box. Like, <laughs> that was whoosh. one of my favourite things I ever found. Is like this guy, this guy gets fouled in the box compared to everywhere else at an insane rate compared compared to like <laughs> massive out. He's like a messy like outlier in that regard. It's absolutely bizarre. But yeah, I mean, uh, who else have we got there? Who's not doing so well with with set pieces? Newca- Newcastle were interesting, weren't they? Like we've gone down as zero set piece goals, six against. And last season they were one of the best uh, in the Premier League. I think they had um, eleven four four against or something. Yeah, so right, right. So right now, like Newcastle are minus six in this phase of the game, hmm. and they're right, from our perspective, like one of the very worst teams in in Europe. But you know that this is a Rafa Benitez thing too, and they were good at this last year. So that's kind of funky. And then Crystal Palace also have zero. Mm. Um, you know, again, like not only do Crystal Palace have zero, but they have only six goals or um, six open play goals too. So like, that's not a good combination. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, it's pretty tough. And um, what So like the, the weirdest one though, like tell, tell everybody about the weirdest one because this is your research. James put it all together. Yeah, no, the weirdest one is Real Madrid. No doubt, right? Real Madrid across I think it's across Europe certainly the, the three leagues that I, I put together but and definitely in their own league like they scored 18 set piece goals last season which which was highest that was that led like Europe pretty much and um, this season they've scored zero now does, does this mean Real Madrid are good uh, are, are suffering or have stopped Trying to do something from set pieces is, is this Ronaldo's fault? Is this the Zidane magic that <laughs> he's worked set pieces? But yeah, to get uh, to get to go from complete one end to the other, and you know, you wonder wonder why they're struggling. Maybe this is this is part of it. You know, they they feel like they're doing the same things as they always did, but they haven't got Ronaldo. But they've just kind of 
just dropped away for set pieces entirely. And to, you know, to drop so far from everything to nothing yeah. is remarkably stark. I mean, what, what's going? What is going on with Real Madrid set pieces? I mean, it's, well, it's, it's all just very weird, right? And it's <laughs> it, it's it's the type of thing where you know, new coach, maybe a different emphasis, maybe like can't convince them to work on this this phase or whatever. So like the the zeros that we have are like. Uh, Newcastle, Bordeaux, Schalke, Fortuna, uh, Dusseldorf, uh, Crystal Palace, Nantes, Getafe, and then two big teams, um, Real Madrid and then Milan. And Milan are in, in like a very interesting fight in, in Italy. Like <clears throat> the, the Champions League teams or p- slots seem to have opened up a bit this year. Um, <clears throat> Roma are struggling. Uh, Lazio are up in there. Inter are, are doing fairly well again, but but Milan are right there for like that fourth spot, and then oddly enough, Parma <laughs> in in the sixth spot. Um, so like you know, can Roma recover? Quite possibly, but a few more a few more set piece goals would certainly help you. <laughs> yeah, like, was it Atletico are interesting ones as well? I think they would. They had quite a flat profile last year, like five and five. Yeah, Atletico this year. Oh, they're back. They're back this year. Six and one. <laughs> So they were the innovators for us. Mm. Uh, Atletico and, and Gianni Vio's Fiorentina team um, back in the day that scored it's up to like 26 in a season. Mm. Um, those were the ones that comprised a lot of my early research and, and things that we, we looked at in order to figure out, could we break this phase of the game? And then what happened was like uh, Atletico were great for like two or three years and then just like disappeared. And this is Simeone. Like, again, why? What happened? What's going on? I don't get it. Uh, I remember uh, Roger Schmidt talking to me about how weird it was that Atletico brought around this crash pad that they used to practice, like, diving headers off of set pieces um, to, like, you know, uh, head them into the ground. He's like, this was such a strange thing. We'd never seen anything like it when when teams travel. Yeah. Uh, But they they had their own crash pad they brought with us, like your your gymnastics thick mat or whatever. the other end of it, so not just scoring set pieces, but you know they're, they're two different things, and they they require slightly different coaching um, coaching looks as well. Uh, so, like last year, to give you an idea of what awesome is, um, apparently not giving up very many shots also means you probably don't give up many set pieces. Mm-hmm, uh, yeah. Barcelona were best in in our data set; uh, they gave up one last year, and uh, Manchester City only gave up three, but Newcastle were right there. Newcastle, Chelsea only gave up four each. So, you know, like that number of set-piece goals against is, is pretty good. Atletico, as you said, 5-5 five and five in our stuff. Monaco, typically awesome at set-pieces under Yardim. Uh, you know, 15 that they scored. Uh, they've scored up to, they've nearly scored like, you know, one every other game in, in some seasons. And then only give up six. Arsenal only give up six. But like being a good defensive team typically means you're not going to give up a lot of set-pieces. Yeah. This season. Go on. Who's the worst? Who's the worst? <laughs> I don't know. Go on. Uh... I think it's, it's Dijon. Mm-hmm. They're not cutting the mustard. Um, hey. and then... <laughs> you just can't not do that. You? I, I, I was going to let it slide. But no, you had you had to play into it. Um, but then it's like Newcastle giving up six, like so basically almost a goal every other game. Spal, Atlanta, Atlanta are like one of the teams I hugely respect, but they've struggled a bit. Bordeaux, Schalke, Eintracht Frankfurt, Cayenne, Sassuolo, Everton is in that list. <clears throat> Those are all fives or, or mores. And then Palace haven't been great either. So yeah, it's a it's a type of thing where like it's a controllable phase of the game. You do care about it. Um, but you know, not everybody there's variance from year to year that's sometimes inexplicable. Like Newcastle have the same manager. It's not like Real Madrid changed. 
which they did, but like Newcastle have the same. Again, why? What is going on? Yeah. I don't know. Just looking at Barcelona again, they like they both see both this season and last season they've conceded a very low percentage of the shots they get they've allowed have been set piece shots, and um, they've obviously like had a good record last season. So, yeah, they. they subtle things isn't it you know phases of the game like you know you don't think of a team like Barcelona as a team that would like repress set pieces uh, necessarily but why wouldn't they at the same time yeah yeah exactly and it's it's strongly measurable too and you can once you kind of have the insight that maybe this is a problem then you're like oh we need to work on this more um, and that's that's like a lot of what football is too. Like sometimes you don't even realize you have a problem in an area until someone's like, oh yeah, well, the data says this. All right, so we'll spend a bit more time on that in training and, and we'll find out ways to, to improve our, our performance there. Um, you know, set pieces are one of the more measurable elements of, of football, um, pretty straightforward. And we we won't do this again, but I thought it was it was cool to kind of look at the early season stuff and, and see who was really good, which is, uh, I think Augsburg are, are leading. Yeah, the- yeah. Augsburg uh, and Tottenham are the, the two two above six so far so that we've yeah. got here, but yeah no I I, I agree it's it, it's interesting and obviously you know rates of rates can fluctuate quite heavily and so you you know you can look at a list of this kind of numbers and spot where someone's running a little bit hot or not and uh, you know these these skews may kind of write themselves a little bit. Well, given the time. opportunities though like it should generally be the big teams that are scoring the most of these because you know if you're if you're constantly around the box and you get fouled regularly and you get regular corners and potentially you get like more throw-ins in the final third like all of this should lead to you having more set-piece goals and it almost never does so we'll we'll see like is, is it kind of an interesting way to look and see like who the the more clever teams are who the teams that are, are slightly switched on um yeah, so we'll maybe we'll check back at the end of the year and see see what happened there. We'll find out more. Yeah, there'll be there'll be some skews right now. What next? We were thinking about relegation, weren't we? Because um, uh, it all has squeezed up a little bit uh, the last couple of weeks. Now, what's the difference? Yeah, seven teams within two points, another couple of teams within a further two points. Um, Newcastle in thirteenth place. Back to back to back wins. Look at them go. <laughs> that really helps, doesn't it? I think I said this. Uh, I can't remember who I said it about. It was another another team, but Fulham maybe. Yeah, a couple of wins, and suddenly, suddenly your whole kind of dynamic has has changed. Like Southampton, you know, suddenly one win in thirteen after what was it two wins in probably similar at the end of last season. Now, I know mm-hmm. Hughes has got three wins out of twenty something games, and is understandably under some kind of threat. Is that bad? Because of that. That sounds bad. The outcomes are bad. The process looks mm, okay. Um, they take a lot of shots. They're not great shots. But, you know, they, they, don't look, they don't look outright bad in all ways. I mean, that, that would be a little cruel. But I think West Brom had this problem last season, didn't they? I mean, yeah. I think Pudis won two games in August, I think. And then they and didn't win another game until he got sacked. And then uh, Pardew came in and couldn't couldn't get by a win at all the handsomest man could not buy a win. <laughs> they drew um, they drew so many games and yeah. you know, just left so many points on the table by just not eking out a couple of wins here or there and well, that's that's like my bugbear right like the the teams that stop attacking and, and try to sit on wins like you do not have that game control you you just don't have it and so you we've seen many different studies that just say that you know teams that that sort of try and protect a lead like end up leaving a lot of points on the table this is going forward on fourth down effectively <laughs> yeah. uh, 
it is and it's it's a it's a win probability change so like it's a little tougher to talk to coaches about but like being up by two is way way better than being up by one and having like another man or two back in defense um so i <laughs> i made that liverpool tweet earlier and uh or like two days ago and people got a little bit chippy like oh you're cherry picking i'm like look i made a tweet man i'm not cherry picking i'm well aware that fulham are at the bottom of the table right now <laughs> despite the fact that i thought they would probably be the eighth best team in uh in the league um, <laughs> i'm well aware bournemouth are eighth in the table despite the fact i thought they'd be 18th best team in the league <laughs> So it's all good you know, fun. We, well, it is, and and we actually go out here and make predictions and and talk about them regularly, and we review them. So you know, if you feel like we're being unfair or cherry picking, just wait for the fucking podcast, guys. We'll get there. Yeah, if you feel um, like we've been unfair or whatever, just listen to us on Man City. Remember that that we said that. <laughs> That's our thing. Uh, it's. Yeah, it's partly fun. It's also having been involved in the gambling universe, like, you know, making testable predictions and coming back to them and, and circling back around is, is very important. Um, yeah, I, I don't like arguing pedantic things on, on Twitter. I think that's a horrible thing to do it. I'll generally ignore it. And if people are like want to be chippy about it, like, I'll just mute or block you. It's a, it's a coin flip as to which one is going to happen. Um, but, like, it's not because, like, I, I just... Yeah, I don't like you personally. It's just like this isn't. I'm not. I'm not here for this. Like, I'm here to talk about you know football and stuff like that. You should open a so poli- you should open a Knutson politics account. That was actually maybe not. Maybe that's the last thing in the world you'd want to do. Just, Thanks, dude. Just, just outright warfare out on there. <laughs> so, yeah. Am I changing my name to Dustin as well? Is that <laughs> what's not going to happen? No, no, no politics on this podcast. But anyway, um, um, we were talking so about relegation a minute ago. We kind of yes, <laughs> apparently, I, I we're relegating this podcast to, to politics next week. Um, no, so the, still the worst team in the league at the moment is Fulham, uh, but the second worst team is a team that doesn't look as bad as they they could be in in terms of the underlying numbers but again you got to get some results sometimes and and fulham are all three of the relegation teams are have eight points mm-hmm. uh, and it's just varying levels of of poor defense for the most part yeah but you know what i'm gonna say now i'm looking at the team that's just sitting right above them who a, have, a slightly poor defense there from have, our friends up north Burnley, who have what looks like traditionally uh, terrible numbers and this season, they haven't yet miraculously yoinked a load of points from anyone. But and, last uh, year, we didn't think they had terrible numbers at the end of the season. Uh, we thought they were sort of in and around the, the middle of the table. I think we had one set of numbers that we had, they even had them as like 10th best team or something. Yeah, like yeah. That, I so. think they, they, they righted, the sh- righted the ship a little bit as time went on. So, and that's interesting. I, I, as a Tottenham fan, you know, looking at Pochettino and stuff, they've got, they've, we'll get to this, but they've eaten everything out of like mediocre performances, points-wise, so far this season. But they tend to get better as the season goes on. They tend to come on strong, fitness regimes, whatever, conditioning. Yeah. And yeah, who knows? I mean, none of us are privy to the, the conditioning regimes of, uh, you know, clubs. And well, also Tottenham like stopped playing in the Champions League in the second half of the season. Yeah, so. it's helpful. But like, <laughs> Burnley, we, we may find that Burnley are a team that, that that does this kind of thing. And you know, if they can enjoy a positive skew in their early weeks, then they can set themselves safe. But if they, you know, if they if they find themselves 
getting a few results over the Christmas period and, and onwards and eking their way up the table, then we might start to think, like, yeah, maybe Burnley are that type of type of team that, you know, paces itself well. And that's the thing, again, like, you know, what's what's the connection between these teams? You've got long-term managers with systems and ideas and plans. And yeah. how many teams, like, in this league will have, like, a manager that turned up, like, you know, in the summer or halfway through a season or, you know, halfway through this season even, you know, really hard to, you know, get get all your kind of planning for fitness like organized if you're literally on the hop so well, speaking of like small teams uh from that area of the country like this is the first time in a long time that huddersfield has shown signs of life but a win a draw and a win in the last three yeah and interesting with what i mean wolves i've I, wolves still look like they've got good numbers i watched that game uh or you know most of it and huddersfield were value for their win really they they were Comfortable is the wrong word, but you know they they didn't look you know overawed at all, and you know pretty much neutralised uh, Wolves in general. And yeah, it, it's funny, isn't it? Because we've you've kind of presumed that uh, Huddersfield they just looked like they didn't have enough firepower or enough in their side. You know they've really struggled for goals over time. They can limit the teams. Uh, they don't allow that many shots. Um, in, it makes you general. wonder if they've kind of been going into games with like the slightly too conservative setup, you know, mm. like it, if they're a little less conservative, uh, but still able to, to be more aggressive at, at the right times, you know, can you score another couple of goals and, and get a few more wins along the way? Well, something I noticed, because, um, you know, I, I still I still loyally record shots and just, uh, you know, kind of give myself an overview it's the first kind of six seven games uh, of the season they had nothing in attack literally were just creating barely anything and the defense was mm, okay a couple of games where they shipped a bunch of shots and goals against at man city and leicester then since then and they, their schedule hasn't been like so easy um they put they play liverpool watford uh, fulham west Ham, wolves burnley whatever but their shot rates have just got into a level where they're they're okay you know they're kind of average 13 14 15 shots a game landing a few on target and their defense is okay like you know if you just take the snapshot of the last kind of month and a half of huddersfield's numbers they look perfectly all right and that's a mm. big change from the the opening weeks of the season when perhaps their schedule was a little harder but even so i mean at the, there are signs of life it looks like they've you know kind of splattered into some kind of effect and that's interesting because you know these subtle trends don't always come out so obviously and until you kind of look at it on a game game to game basis but so we're going to do it again then we're going to ask some questions here <laughs> and people are going to you know pick cherry pick whichever ones we got wrong along the way but giving the updated information and the way that the table currently looks who's getting relegated <laughs> this is so hard because i've just I, so i've hard. just i've just argued a case for like you know a couple of t- i could happily <laughs> just say like burnley's numbers are terrible and they are not a good t- i don't think they're a very good team but i've just made a case that maybe they come good later on i i love i love this thing where you're just like arguing up huddersfield and you're like oh there are signs of life this doesn't look so bad and now suddenly you're like but i'm gonna pick them to get relegated anyway <laughs> yeah exactly you feel like you should like i mean Num- Palace are down there. Their numbers don't look horrible, though. Southampton and Cardiff are down there. Again, their numbers don't look horrible. But that—that that is no guarantee of safety. I don't know. Fulham 
Fulham is just kind of like a wild card at the moment because yeah, you, you have no idea where they're going to end up. I, I think Fulham and Burnley are the two biggest wild cards, in fact, because like you don't think Dyche is going to going to leave in the season, mm. and they had that really really rough early struggle that basically like their squad looked too small for Europe, um, so they looked hideous for like five games, and and now they're they're like you know recovering a little bit out of that, but it hasn't really stabilized, and you wonder. You know how you know, what the issues are because they haven't looked like this before. Fulham have Ranieri. They've got a win. They've got some talent. You know, it shouldn't be that hard for them to pull up. It's so tight down at the bottom. <laughs> yeah, and so- Southampton similarly. You know, if you feel like Hughes is hanging on by a thread, and it's hard to say that you know whether or not if he goes or if he stays, if if they will inevitably like generate some better results because surely they must and again like, I just feel like I've got West Brom ring, ringing in my ears from last season where they never looked like a bar, looked like they were bad enough to re- get relegated and nor did Newcastle the season they went down I think they finished 18th and they went down at no point did they really look like they were that bad but at the end of the day you got to grab points and they failed miserably on that front well, I, so. I feel like Southampton are almost a repetition of, of the Stoke thing where you look at that squad and mm. that squad is better than, than 18th but they need to to perform. <laughs> well, what? Well, Here's the insane thing about Southampton, though: they have a positive shot differential. Yeah. They have like plus one point five shots per game. What's what possible connection can we make between Southampton now and Stoke last season? Is there any? Is there anything that, that relates them? I'm trying to think, oh, I can't get for, there. For those for those of you that hate expected goals, by the way, the third worst team in our expected goals model in the Premier League right now in terms of goal difference is Brighton. <laughs> uh, this is this is what I mean. We've had this a couple of times on 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 here. I I fear for Brighton's structure because I don't know. They, they, it feels like they've got the the rub. You know, they're taking eight shots a game and shipping eight, seventeen. Eight shots versus seventeen and a half. Uh, Burnley are nine shots versus twenty one. Yeah, if if you you know <laughs> you know me a shots man till I like. But if you're just looking at that, I don't like the look of that. <laughs> There's fundamentally, I don't like the look of those numbers, and you know, expected expected goals kind of is backing this up because they are they look the two weakest teams, and that's the thing. Volume of shots eventually, to some regard, if they're so skewed so badly, will you know nearly always kind of come out within the the expected goals when it's skewed that badly. But it's, it's so are you hard. telling me it's too hard? Are we you going to pick anyone? You want to pick anyone? You want to relegate anyone? You want to no, antagonise any fan bases? Well, I, I that's just how we do, right? Like, <laughs> yes. All right, let's go back up. Uh, Manchester United have a negative 0.17 goal difference still. Uh, so yeah. like, <laughs> which is worse than Leicester, which is worse than Watford and Bournemouth and Wolves. Uh, so <laughs> It's worse than Palace. I was going to say, technically, it's worse than Crystal Palace, but that's... <laughs> it's only thing. slightly better than Cardiff. They're expecting goal difference. I mean, bloody hell. But they're on? through to the knockout phase of the Champions League. 14 out of 14. Mourinho. 14 out of 14, he says. And when he's not in the Champions League, he wins the He's Europa winning League. the Europa League. He's funny. Well, I mean, people, might... people tire of his stick. I don't know. It amuses me when he does. He might not that. even get into the Europa League next year. <laughs> no, that's very real risk at this point. And uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of banter around on the on the machine uh, the other day when they got a draw against fellow large club Crystal Palace. So yeah, it's it's tough. Let's before we go today. I mean, not going to be doesn't give me a long one. We have to talk about Tottenham briefly because. Uh, uh, 
they demolished Chelsea at the weekend. And yeah, that was not a close game. It, it really was the first time, I think, all season. I mean, the, they've had the other good result they got earlier in the season was at Man United, but Man United had should have been like one or two goals up in the first half of that match, and somehow Tottenham won the match 3 0. I, I looked at this, um, I've got a piece coming out on the ringer, hopefully today, on Tottenham, but you have to go back to, I think they played Arsenal at Wembley last season and won 1-0, but controlled the game, and that's the last, I think that was in March, that's the last time Tot- Tottenham have turned up against a, a biggish team, and um, literally given them the full Tottenham experience, um, which they managed to do against Chelsea, and well, like the, that derby in particular is the two teams kicking the shit out of each other experience usually. Oh. Uh, <laughs> this it's it's one of the the roughest derbies uh, in in recent Premier League, uh, but this one it didn't work out that way because for whatever reason Chelsea seemed, I, I believe the Italian word is fragile. Uh, <laughs> it's, they they just did not have defensive structure in this game. But some people were like, oh well, we've been talking about Chelsea's kind of lack of defensive control. Like they they're still giving up only like nine and a half shots per game. Yeah. And against most teams, they have controlled it quite well. But in this one, like Chelsea were or Tottenham were just too good, too physical, and you know, there, there were some good games by some of the players. We should mention as I since I've been poking at this the other way, uh, I put out some some radars on on Mr. Harold Kane. Uh, and it looks like he might be back. Yeah, I, I I agree with this. I think the last kind of six weeks or whatever, the last kind of half dozen or so games, early days as well, obviously. But he, he you know, his shot volume's got back to, back to what you'd expect. He's scoring pretty regularly, and even seems to just just seems to be kind of generally a bit more lively in 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 play. Funny enough, especially for England, I thought, you know, with that um, with Sterling and Rashford kind of buzzing around. Outside him, he was he was quite useful in that match. And I mean, you've got Son. It was the the Chelsea game was the first match that Son, Eriksson, Ali, and Kane had all started together. In the I think Son season. makes a big difference to that group. Like a very willing runner. Um, he's kind of always in problematic places. He's a very good finisher as well. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And yeah, like they need him on the pitch. Uh, as much as you like Lucas Moore or not, he's not the same player. Pochettino's talked about like his work managing his fitness and stuff and that he stayed um stayed with the club over the last international break and worked on his fitness. And I think that yeah, poss- possibly that was it cuz pre-season was all a bit messed up with the World Cup and t- and then Son went to the Asian Games and you know, it was messed up for everyone, but it, you know, definitely if you if you're the type of manager that's got a, you know, a long-term kind of 6, 8, 10-week plan and pre-season of like, you know, conditioning your players and that, then this this summer in the World Cup would have just played absolute havoc with that. I know Tottenham went to went to America and basically took a completely reserve team and young players and you know, took barely ne- none of their first teamers on their kind of pre-season tour. So yeah, just just to flip to Chelsea quickly, um, something something that I noticed. Grace tweeted about uh, like Man City don't give up goals like that, the, the like the Sun goal, and it was like they did in Pep in Pep's first season they did. There you go. And it feels like Sarri's. Um, I mean, it's early days for Sarri. He's only had like three four months. And he doesn't have the personnel that fits his style. He doesn't. And they, yeah, I mean, they they pass the ball literally as much, if not more, than Man City, you know, in overall. And they're a work in progress. And everything came out, you know, after the Tottenham game. Oh, why is Kante not, you know, playing kind of defensive midfield? I mean, it's been a kind of ongoing theme that, but I think the Tottenham game really, and Jorginho getting absolutely wiped out on that Sun goal kind of really emphasised that. But 
it is really early days for Sarri, and if I'm not saying he's you know he, he's Pep and he can you know ex- exert the transition into into the kind of uh, success that Man City are uh, enjoying, but like that's the kind of ideas that he's trying to bring through really, and it is early days, so let's possibly well, he, give them a break for now. Sure, Jorginho is is the player that that makes that that side right and for pep it was about having um center backs that were mobile that could open up play and having full backs that could actually run that weren't like 32 years old um <laughs> well it's, it's, no, it's you, you laugh no it's, it's true. true yeah i mean it's, <laughs> um, do i the, want to have 32 year old center backs maybe i'll maybe well, not the, the full backs especially like, yeah. that's that's the big problem uh, your center backs unless they're elite sprinters uh but with chelsea i still think kante is <laughs> He's out of position now. He's the best in the world at what he does, but because of the system, it doesn't fit his skill set anymore. Uh, I I think that he should go to PSG. I no, think we PSG he signed, need that player. He signed a contract last week. I know, but like, why did he sign a contract? Because um, he wants to play eight. Despite him apparently being a, a very decent person and paying all he's, his taxes he's lovely i, he I want to see him succeed he probably is happy to have more more money coming in his direction anyway i imagine that oh fine <laughs> but but I, I just i don't want to see him play eight for the next three years i don't think that's right it looks like it's going to happen i always had this with van united um you know the, the years of van Hal and then Mourinho, various attacking talents losing losing their best years to to you know kind of defensive or regimented systems that weren't designed to to give them flair and fun like William and uh, Hazard have just coming out of that kind of thing as well at Chelsea oh yeah so. no definitely like Conte like smashing them into the the holes and saying stay down um and and obviously Memphis like being stuck on a team that shot less than Sam Allardyce's Sunderland one season. <laughs> yeah it's it's tough isn't it I mean there's life of a professional footballer you know you might you know, you might play in a system that won't let you have five shots from anywhere, and it won't be so much fun. But has any, anyone seen Cesc Fabregas lately? Not really. No, he's. Been <laughs> how about Memphis? Or how about Mesut Ozil? Ah, what's going on? All my favorite players are not playing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you need new favorite players, Ted. Hey, here's a, here's a little thing. I, we haven't put anything out on this, but we did nutmegs in the summer, didn't we? We started bombing the world. We did. I haven't. I haven't seen a nutmeg stat in no, 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 no. So I had a quick look. I had a quick look um, the other day, and. Are we talking about Premier League? Yep, Premier League. Top of the Premier League for successful nutmegs. Was, was it Delhi last year? Uh, no, it was. He wasn't top, but he was. He, he scored well, and he hasn't played much this year. But top of right. the league is Alex Iwobi with wow. four. Wow! So there you go. You want Arsenal fan? I've I've been a stand for Iwobi for a while, but uh, if if you want a new hero, a new god. His radar didn't look too great, but <laughs> but you know, yeah, there's some, I mean, that's, there's some fun that's, with Iwobi. <laughs> I so I think Awobi was better last year, but he's not. It's weird. I thought like we scouted him. We nearly we tried to loan him at Brentford, and there were injuries that prevented us from doing that um, back when he was like quite a young kid. And then he broke into the first team because of that, and then he was like well beyond us. Um, but we scouted him as a wide forward, like a guy that could get out there and score. And we thought like definitely at the championship level he could beat guys, and he was sort of big and strong, and he could do that. But really, it seems like he's been turned into kind of an inside midfielder. Uh, and that like tamps down a lot of his skill set uh, in terms of that, but he's he's probably better at breaking lines, and he's still pretty good on the ball. Um, 
yeah, Arsenal really, really miss having pace and and danger out out wide, and that that's still an issue for them. Like when you think about it, you're like, all right, you've got you've got Lacazette and Aubameyang, both of whom are sort of like real center forwards at this point. Aubameyang had played wide forward before, but still, it felt like it was a he was put there and he was really good, but it, that wasn't his best position. Like so, now Arsenal have totally struggled for that. Whereas you look at Mane and uh, and Salah, and you're like, wow! If you had real wide forwards, like this is what you can do with it. Um, so like that's like, and and you know, Sun coming back is a is a similar sort of thing. Like Tottenham with their full squad actually have a, a reasonable amount of depth in in the attack now. It's yeah. just that that midfield that that struggle. Yeah, no, that's so true. talking about all of this though, and looking at the table again and the numbers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, who's making it? third and fourth it's it, as is i'm pretty confident about this i don't Ooh, think i don't think that spurs are going to stay there i just think they'll improve through this season and they, they've done that um like consistently and they've banked a load of points obviously the derby this week tottenham arsenal tottenham this weekend huge because arsenal win their level on points and you know a little bit of dare i say it confidence for the rest of the season <laughs> They get beat, but if Tottenham turn them over somehow, then the gap six points. And um, yeah, I I don't know. I mean, Tottenham's numbers have regressed this season. They are not as good as last season. There are factors that have contributed to that. They've played a lot of away games. Um, their squad has been interrupted by injuries. I I think that that's the that's the issue. I think Chelsea have a little more depth, especially in midfield. And and Tottenham do not. So like, if there's an injury that bites over the Christmas period when the games are very fast and very furious, uh, you may struggle a bit more. Yeah, I mean, I I I personally think that I mean, Man City and Liverpool the, the guaranteed, obviously, as you said. I think Chelsea will probably just be fine because they'll continue to just like squeeze teams and beat them, all the bad teams, you know, and. So third, fourth, I think Chelsea are probably, in my mind, favourites for third. And then it really depends who out of Tottenham and Arsenal can kind of can kind of just generate some kind of improvement to go with their points that they're getting because they both they've both got profiles that don't look particularly stellar at the moment. Um, Arsenal haven't kicked forward as much as you might have expected them to, like from a kind of performance standpoint. What? And what? You don't think? Who expected? That's what I'm asking. I'm not saying they All right, yeah, yeah. I mean, forward. I'm like, uh, hoped, who predicted that hoped, they were going to like, rocket up the table? Hoped, maybe. But yeah, I mean, you know, they've got the points. And, you know, it looks like the kind of normal kind of Arsenal have, have done fine during the, the autumn that they often I, I, did. But Yeah, I, I know we're, we haven't, like, we've kind of tap danced around a lot of stuff here. I, the one team that I'm like super curious, actually, both of those teams have very curious Januarys coming. Um, Chelsea haven't supported uh, sorry too much and I heard from a, a pretty good source who I can't name but you know who you are um, that sorry really misses Kuibai. Oh right. Uh, yeah like so Kuibai is is super smart um, and it's the classic sort of racial profiling of players that you know, people don't know much about them other than what they look like and a little bit of what they play. Um, but yeah, so like as, as part of the defensive scheme, you know, sorry has some center backs. Um, and, you know, there's like friction behind the scenes too because like Christensen isn't playing; he's actually very good and should be yeah, playing. Yeah, that's now. a point. He's really um, stuck with Rüdiger, isn't he? And um, yeah, you feel like if you if you scan the Chelsea team, you think like where can I where can I make improvements? Like 
you definitely you'd review Rudiger, wouldn't you? And you'd think well, and, and we know like almost nothing about their process now. Like we don't know what happens behind the scenes. Like Emanalu is not there. Is it is it Barina and, and and people like I I don't have as much transparency as I used to. Uh, so like that's a, an open question. And usually Chelsea are very supportive of their managers, especially in like the first two two years. And so their manager gets to do a lot of you know choices or whatever. So like they may have a moderately busy January and they certainly have some needs to help uh, adjust to the sorry system. And what do Spurs do? Like that's that's my question for you. You you actually pay attention to this. What are Spurs doing in January? Uh I think it would be shrewd just to much like how they picked up Lucas Mora, um like find look around just for just for that kind of like an ingredient that they can uh, someone like that that you can bring in and kind of develop through the season and use a little bit as they need and maybe, you know, become a core member of the squad, like, going forward. Obviously, blank check. <laughs> What's, you know, let's do anything. You would just say, go and find, go and spend as much money as you possibly can on the central midfielder of your dreams. No, I personally don't think that's going to happen. But, um yeah, it's, it's somewhere between those two kind of <laughs> scenarios, hopefully. Let's make a note to talk about that particular scenario for next time around. <laughs> we'll we'll sort of shoehorn it into uh, into a pod because I don't know if you've seen the calendar, but we're coming into transfer season. Yeah, it's not long, is it? We'll 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 flip to transfers at some point, won't we? Because that'll be that'll be good. It's funny. A, a few of the players that I, I liked as options for Tottenham's midfield moved in the summer, so they're not going to move now. But there we go. All right, cool. Well, I think that's a wrap. Yep. And uh, thank you very much, everybody, for listening. Next time, I'm going to force James to talk a little bit about transfer stuff. Um, so you guys can look forward to that. But this time, we hit pretty much all the big teams. We talked about boring old set pieces that you don't want to talk about very often because they're boring. No, they're not. And uh, and thanks for listening, guys. Cheers, bye.